Donald Brink is in the middle of a six-part series called Creative Kin over on his podcast, Swell With My Soul. Last week, he spoke with surfboard shaper Jeff McCallum, and this week, he chats with NYC artist Jason Woodside. You kind of have to give it a break. It comes in pulses. It's like the ocean, just like nature, just like seasons. It, it comes in pulses, and there's a time to kind of harvest that stuff, and there's a time to think about it, you know? And I think the growth thing... Um, happens over time and it's uh you know you only really progress through process so you really have to take those risks and mess up to really progress because you know you're not going to a museum and looking at a bunch of Andy Warhols and being like oh I'm gonna paint this you know and I find that unfortunately that's like a real direction of schooling and that sort of thing like let's go study this artwork but it's actually not really take it's like contradicting taking risks it's like oh this stuff is super famous let's copy it and then i'll kind of branch out a little bit but keep it consistent with what that looks like so i don't know listen to swell with my soul on spotify apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts Welcome back to Surf Splendor. Today we get to hear from surfboard builder Ryan Harris of Earth Technologies. Ryan has actually been on my radar for quite a long time. Um, I see him around at the boardroom show, other places. I see him on the internet all of the time. He seems to attract a lot of media attention, and that's because he's committed to creating less environmental impact than traditional surfboard manufacturers. He operates the only zero-waste surfboard factory on the planet, and he'll explain exactly what that means. Another thing that makes him unique uh, among board builders is that he started surfing in adulthood, and then he began building surfboards shortly thereafter, starting at the very bottom with no industry connections. But in a very short period of time, he's earned not only the respect, but also the business of some of the industry's best-known shapers. And now he's pioneering new pathways to improve a notoriously stagnant industry through tireless hard work and unrelenting resolve. So I'm glad that we finally got the chance to connect. I'm glad to share this with you. We recorded this conversation in his shaping bay in Torrance, California. And uh, I think that's it. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. And here's my conversation with Ryan Harris of Earth Technologies Surfboards. Enjoy. I do want to start by thanking you for the compliment about my youthful looks. <laughs> I do have a little bit of vanity about it that I've developed later in life that I never anticipated. Well, I think you've got you've got a you've got good hair. B, you know, not a whole lot of gray. I don't see any really. Thank you. But I'm I'm in the forty club, and you know, it's part part of it's a black thing. Like if you have good hair and you're black, you know, you're really into it. Like, I used to rock a mean afro until I was, like, 35. Really? And had, like, it was a nightmare with shaping and stuff because I get sand, shaping dust in there. But I, name up, like, hairstyle, I had it. I got, I had straightened hair. I had the braids. I had the locks. 
I even had a frohawk. Everything, every way I could rock it, I did. And like as soon as I turned thirty-five, it, that was it. It just started yeah. going. And I was always talking smack to my dad because he was he was bald as long as I could remember. That's but, what that's what brought it on. Yeah, you talk yeah. smack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of karma, or maybe it is yeah. karma actually. But um, like literally last week, my brother texted me, my younger brother, and he's like, "Oh, dude, my wife saw a photo of you from a couple months ago, and she commented on how young you look. Mm-hmm. I'm 38." And he goes, yeah, she said you look really young for your age. She was like, yeah, you look 35. And I, I was like, what the heck? Yeah. For a minute there, I felt like it was a real compliment. And then yeah. 35 is like nothing. Yeah. But it's weird that I even cared. And yeah. like now I care, yeah. you know, because I feel like, I don't know, I'm stressed with yeah. work and yeah. obligations and I'm not surfing as much. So I'm heavier and I just yeah. now I care. But I think stress does mm-hmm. it. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. We actually have real responsibility yeah. now in life. Ten years ago, I didn't. I mean, I wasn't the sole owner and operator of right. my EcoBird business. Yeah. You know, it was a shared duty. And now, you know, it's all water well, therapy. As long as I can get in the water. Well, those <laughs> those are kind of where I wanted to segue to is um, walking around this factory. I mean, you got a lot going on, mm-hmm. and every time I've kind of tangentially cross paths with you you're running from one thing to the next yeah <laughs> um, what do you have time to surf did you surf this morning i did surf this morning it's more about making time uh i know people and i'm like i'm gonna name drop because they're important people in my life but like arguably one of the busiest people i know on the planet which is elo he finds time to surf every day he yeah. is literally in the water every day unless he's sick or you know Eric wife. Logan for yeah. people who are yep. unfamiliar CEO of the WSL yeah and I met him when he was the CEO of another well massive company by comparison um, and president we, of own yeah Oprah which Network. it actually started I kept seeing own surf stickers on his boards and we, we would sup together in Manhattan Beach I thought it was a joke I was like she doesn't surf what the hell is that and lo and behold that's what he actually he's the president of own but um, anyway point is I look he's a mentor you know, he's actually an investor in this company and he gives me a lot of invaluable advice. And one of those things is just structure, structure, organize your day, plan it every minute and you can find a lot more time than you think you have. And so, yeah, there's a lot of times now where I make a conscious decision. I'm not going to waste my time. It's tiny, you know, making excuses to not surf so I can get in here and crank on stuff, get, get ahead of the guys. But like I find myself, I don't, if I don't get some me time, if I don't make my surfing or priority, that's my stress reliever. It's a number of things. It's my stress reliever, it's my other office, it's sales, it's a number of things, and it's it's really important. Absolutely, it's, it's saltwater therapy. Have you been able to implement his advice? I'm trying, <laughs> I'm starting to. I mean, but that, it's, it, that's it's, where it's, I struggle too, is I get tons of great input from other yeah. people all the time, and then six months goes by and I realize that I haven't implemented mm-hmm. any of it. You know? I mean, it's really sound advice, honestly. Like, of course. It's there's so only logical. X amount of hours in the week. And the other thing, he's up really, like, I call it ELO clock. I, I, sometimes I'll be getting texts from him at like 4.45, 4.30 in the morning. It's because he's already started his day. Yeah. And, you know, as I jam pack my week, my day, my hours with more stuff, I have to, you know, I'm, I'm not a night owl anymore. I was up, you know, in college when I first moved out here. But, no, I'm up by 5, 5.30. And usually that, that first half, that's what I'm deciding. You know, I'm making my tasks for the day. And if it's just, I'm already stressed out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not surfing today. I got too much to do. 
do you um, how does diet factor in for you? Uh, it does, and again, it's a, back to getting older. As I've gotten older, um, you know, my health is decent, but my allergies have gotten worse. Uh, I'm allergic to dust mites, which you know, in, in my line of work, it's pretty yeah crappy to be allergic to dust mites. It's more about the Santa Anas, though, oh, okay. which we're in the middle of a Santa Ana event right now, and. It's actually better for me to be inside my own dusty surf shop than outside surfing. Funny. Because they blow, you know, there's lots of dust mites from the desert and it comes all the way out of here or whatever. But um, no, which has changed my diet. You know, it's, it's, you know, we can all learn from Slater. That guy is yeah. the goat and he's very strict about his diet. And so we've, we've, I'm not a vegan, but, um, Love seafood, so kind of pescatarian. <laughs> if I, my my rule is if I can if I can kill it if I can kill it cook it and eat it, that's what I'll do. Okay, vegetables are easy. But yeah, we uh, she's 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 on me. She's um, who's she? Your wife? Ah, uh, the wifey. Oh, yeah, okay. she's she's. I say she's one of the reasons I'm even doing what I'm doing. She uh, is ten years older than me, and another person I look up to. She's my best friend, but she's the one that put her foot down years ago, and I was still kind of doing boards as a hobby. And she's like, look, you know, follow your passion. I got you. You know, quit bartending. Quit messing around. I got you. So she gave me 110% of support and pretty much said, you know, do it. You got this eco thing going. Follow your passion. I got, I, I can handle the rest. So Amazing. Yeah. And so that helped. But yeah, she's, she's in a lot of ways. And I say this a lot. Behind every good board builder or successful brand, there's a woman. Absolutely. And whether they're involved in the company or not, they have a, a very solid role. It's funny. It's weird that you're saying this right now. I had a very similar conversation last night, <laughs> a meaningful conversation yeah. where I re had a kind of an epiphany that I try to carry all the load mm -hmm. and I don't need to. Mm -hmm. And it's like nobody wants me to. People actually want to help. Yeah. But at every turn, I will... I think there's a certain amount of vulnerability that I'm not comfortable with, right. firstly, where I don't want to admit that I need help, first of all. And then secondly, it's risky to say, here's what my real desires are. Here's mm -hmm. what my goals and ambitions are, because then you're held accountable right. to actually deliver on those things. And it's much easier just to kind of keep that secret and just slowly work towards that goal right. and you'll overachieve what people think that you, you know. So I have all these weird barriers up and yeah. that creates limitations with yeah. the intimacy that you can have with the people in your life but right. so yes that matters in terms of your uh intimate relationship with your wife or your girlfriend or whatever but also with business partnerships mm -hmm. you just said elo's an investor who by the way has a wealth of business knowledge He's so for genius. you to be able to open up just the books or whatever and say hey man here's where i'm at he can help you uh, get to a million places that you wouldn't ever absolutely ridiculous and yeah. that's the, what you were saying on touch on is the vulnerability thing I'm not, I don't have, I've got a little bit of an ego, but I don't have such a big one that I'm scared to ask for help. Good. I freely ask everybody for help all the time, Good. not with building boards, but with managing the business. Yeah. I've always considered myself an artist, excuse me, an artist, less of a business owner and business head, more of an artist, but obviously because of what I'm doing and what I've done, I have to be, I have to have that business mindset. Yeah. And well, I'm glad that you recognize that because there's so many board builders uh -huh. who do not. The industry yeah. is completely uh, limited yeah. with amazing craftsmen, yeah. amazing artists who still don't have a business license. They get, they, they, it's like we get stuck in this rut or in this lane. Oh, we're artists, we're craftsmen, and that's all we can be. And it's just not, you know, a lot of these people I've worked with, Matt Biolis, I think is absolutely hands down the most business savvy guy 
running a surfboard label. Really? Hands down. And we've worked together for years. We don't work together anymore, but, you know, he's another person that's mentor. I look up to him, and he's absolutely slated, and he's got that that sixth sense, that business sense. Yeah. That most, well, I don't want to say most, but a lot of. Well, he's built a phenomenal brand. I mean. <laughs> yeah. So we'll, a number of things that we just touched on, we're going to get into <laughs> deeper, but I'm going to go back to the beginning and just uh, mention we're sitting in a zero waste factory, right? Yeah. Now. Which, Is this the only zero waste surfboard factory? Yep. On, on the, the planet? planet? First and only, still the only. And I think that in and of itself bothers me that well, we're the only one. Does um, it? Yeah. And, and that's the thing. Like, it's public knowledge. I explain a lot. We haven't patented it. That might change, honestly, so that people can bring me on and, you know, I can be a consultant because it, the surfboard industry is relatively small compared to other industries. For sure. But the products we make are not, right? And they have a massive environmental impact. And so, you know, green is relatively new in the surfboard industry, but it's become more mainstream as consumers have become more knowledgeable. And at the end of the day, I, I also say, you know, one of my other roles, I'm an educator. It's my job to explain there's better options out there. And that's the thing. I've Yeah, maybe I've created some energy and some enemies along the way, maybe the good old standard way of building boards, a lot of those guys are threatened. But at the end of the day, a lot of the guys doing boards in the surf industry, they don't want, they don't want to go the extra step. And I'm not going to say it's laziness, but, you know, epoxy and poly, are they're completely different. And that's one of the one of the mindsets is, is that, oh, I don't want to change. I think from a consumer side, there's so much confusion about what mm-hmm. any of this stuff yep. even means. So, and I think there's also, by the way, confusion about the toxicity. Yep. I don't think... It, if done properly and regulated properly, it's right. not as toxic. So let's really break some of this down. What does uh, zero waste even mean? Because I look around, it looks like there's a lot of waste. Oh, there's here. tons of waste. So and what does zero waste mean? <laughs> well, and so that's the thing. Because um, being eco-friendly can be something as simple as an attitude adjustment, a different mindset. I've been very fact-based okay. about describing the zero waste system. It's zero manufacturing waste going into the landfill. That is specifically what we're talking about. We're going to have food waste. You know, my guys will bring in food, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the process of making surfboards. Okay. So I've been, you know, I say it a lot. There's plenty of sound bites out there. We do get a lot of press people calling and talking to me about different things. Um, I have a reputation as being this eco board guru. I'm the eco board guru, right? And that's because I've been doing it longer than anybody. I was at the start of this whole EcoBird movement, and that was about 11 years ago, about 12 years ago this year. Um, but along the way, I realized, okay, cool, we're reducing our carbon footprint, we're reducing our environmental impact as much as we can by changing the materials. But we're still producing a ton of waste for every single board we create. And um, I actually got some really good data about the sheer waste footprint generated by boards and sustainable surf is a company we work with and they gave me the data on traditional poly shortboard traditional epoxy shortboard and the waste generated they did an audit of the channel islands factory who they they do eco boards as well well by switching the materials up but the study showed that a traditional poly shortboard let's say it's you know it's a little bit more dense so it weighs a little bit more we'll say it's about six and a half pounds Double the weight of the finished board is the amount of trash that was generated 
from one surfboard. So it's about 12, 13 pounds. Said epoxy board of about five and a half pounds. Same weight of the finished board as the amount of waste generated from an epoxy board. And it's down to how they're built. You know, the, 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 the resins you use less resin with epoxy. So anyway, that's how they got to those numbers. And so I'm going, okay, well, that's simple math. So for every board I make in here currently, we're generating the same amount of weight in trash. And we do a lot of big boards. We do paddle boards and all these things. So I'm going, there's got to be a way, man. There's got to be a way to keep that from going into the landfills. There's got to be a way. And um, so about a year and a half ago, um, there's a video that went out with these worms, with these mealworms. And we no longer use that system. But essentially, they became like the mascot to this zero waste system we we started and a guy in maui had developed this system his name's eddie garcia and his company's called the living earth systems and he figured out this whole ecosystem basically with these worms being the muscle that ate styrofoam so they had a bacteria in their gut that would take something inorganic such as styrofoam and pass it off as organic and they literally it and took like a year the whole process but but for listeners eps foam is styrofoam yep that's it's it's simple so we and can use those terms interchangeably yeah exactly and, and the thing with the worms is they would actually take the stringer dust as well so until then there hadn't been a solution for the shaping dust so then i started doing a bunch of research on just recycling i'm like okay well you got cans plastic bottles and cardboard and paper well we have that in here we were already recycling most of it, but then I started recycling all the packaging that we could currently put out in our own recycling, and then that made it about 40% of our waste. But then you get into the glassing rooms and the sanding rooms. And for people that aren't familiar with what a surfboard factory glassing room looks like, it is just loads of stuff. There's no way you can recycle. Fiberglass, plastic gloves, stir sticks, brushes, resin all over the place. Uh, you got your sanding dust, sandpaper. None of this stuff can go out in your regular recycling. Because it's contaminated with the resins? Mm-hmm. Okay. And so once I, and this was all on me. Nobody gave me any suggestions. I literally went to a recycling center and started looking at their machinery. And I figured out, okay, well, look at a plastic shredder. They literally just pl- shred down these plastic bottles. Well, those are high-density plastic shredders. What's a surfboard? What's the shell? What's resin? That's plastic. It is literally a plastic shell, and it's high-density plastic. So once I figured that out, uh, I knew I knew I could do it. And so, but it's it is plastic, but with fiberglass. Mm-hmm. So does that create an issue? Raw fiberglass, you can't recycle. You okay. can't shred. But if it's dense enough, meaning if it's coated, then we can shred it. Okay. So one of the things we were already doing was recycling any clean scrap fiberglass for fins, repairs, whatever. Push fins up an organ is like the most eco-friendly uh, skateboard that, uh, fin company. They make skate uh, broken skateboard decks into surfboard fins. And they take a bunch of fiberglass scrap from glass shops. So uh, we had been doing that for a few years. but um, So we already had figured out some ways to recycle stuff but it's peanuts it's a very small percentage of the waste so what i did is i just categorized everything said okay well we need a bin for this a bin for this a bin for this in each room and so once everything's sorted and categorized well then depending on the density of it we can either shred it right away i.e wood and stuff already coated with resin or if it's not i created these troughs 
and we pour excess resin in said troughs, and we get almost these brick looking like almost like pallets, pallet um, pieces, and then that goes into our chipper, our shredder. Okay. So yeah, it, it took a long time for me to dial it in, and uh, I successfully did a Kickstarter campaign to help offset the costs, and that's how we were able to do most of it. So basically, the long and the short of it is, we shred everything now. We densify our waste, and then we upcycle it. We have an endless supply of excess resin coming off boards. And so we have a, a basically a small network of different product molds, and we use excess resin and the shred to make said products. What and are the products? Right now, uh, those are coasters, hand planes, keychains, and the newest thing we're doing is these construction-grade tiles uh, for flooring or mosaics or decorative, whatever people want to use them for. And I could literally, like if you take a ceramic tile from waist high and drop it, it'll shatter. Well, ours is all structural because we've got this shred, which has got structure in it, and add it with the resin. I could chuck it across the parking lot and they bounce. Hmm. So, And are um, the colors abstract? Everything's abstract. Got They're it. literally one of a kind because, and I'll show some to you later, but you get all these. So the shred, which is what we call our shredded waste, it's just this stock of anything from squeegees to resin chips of all different colors to these wooden brush handles that are shredded up stir sticks blue plastic gloves and so you get this just almost like parquet marble looking stuff yeah and you can see it you can see you can actually look at it and tell it's trash so that's also what's pretty cool is people have they well what is that these little particles what's almost, the Looks like microplastics. Who? How do you sell all that? Where? Who's the market? Or, that? That's that, a whole the, different well, business. That is the point. Is the, the, kind of the running joke is we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna make more money selling our trash. I would think so. Than surfboards yeah. because we're gonna get out of this tiny little industry. It's like we're in a bubble with the surfboard industry. So I could, we're figuring out distribution, but it could be Amazon. You could have these coasters anywhere. I mean, I if so, marketing's key here. But if marketed yeah. properly people would actually pay a premium for your trash because it comes from the surfboard business, exactly. not only because of the surf world, yep. but then the one eco-friendly focused business or yep. the one zero waste factory yep. is where it's coming from. I could see you getting to the point where you can't fill the supply. But that's the other thing. So now or the I'm, demand. I'm starting, we can actually quantify how much shred we have. So we're going to start weighing it weekly and then monthly and then annually and we'll have a, a, an actual number of that's pretty invaluable and um yeah i i know right now our 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 shred which is what we call it is it's actually worth something yeah <laughs> well just based on the fact that it's structural it could make something stronger right and so the next big thing because i'm literally with everything we do in here i'm thinking of different products and so i'm an inventor by nature it's like anything that you can make a mold for we can make for the most part mm-hmm um, so the next big thing we're doing is our shred skateboards, which, uh, it's a it's, logical. Next yeah. Step. And that's, you know, it's, it's patent pending and we've, we, it's, it's kind of hush hush right now, but we're talking about a 75 to 90% trash skateboard. Yeah. And we might even reach out to other labels and say, Hey, look, we can help you reduce your carbon footprint by taking some of your waste. Well, and again, this comes back to time management and structure of the day because <laughs> yeah. these are all, each individual idea right there is a full business. Yep. Full business, full production system yeah. for each said product. Uh, it's a lot. So we are in an industrial area in Torrance right now. You're going to need to take over the next space yeah. or two. No, I, we, yeah. absolutely. And, but then that's like a whole new bit. Uh, business plan financing yep. involved yep. like it's crazy yep. 
Well, and it's it's literally there's luckily there's vacancies, but like the whole recycling system, the whole shred system, uh, we're doing it on a shoestring budget. We're yeah. talking about the one I have. We're kickstarting it from yeah. Yeah, then the one I have is tiny. We're talking about we're gonna need machines that can shred entire boards. Right. Like massive quantities of stuff. Because I right now we're just handling our own production waste. I want to go bigger. Yeah. I want to be able to help you know help the entire industry. And what that looks like is a massive operation, not just in this little space. So let's um, kind of get into the business of eTech, mm-hmm. Earth Technologies. Yeah. Is that separate from Ryan Harris Shapes? It's the whole Earth Technologies LLC umbrella. Everything falls. But I mean, under I that. see, I see Ryan Harris Shapes laminates, and I yeah. also see Earth Technologies. Well, and laminates. so that is, you know, if you look at most labels, most surfboard labels, there's the shaper and then the brand, right? So Lost Mayhem, uh, Channel Islands, Elmeric Designs. So it's just like that. But Earth there's Tech. only one shaper at Earth Tech, right? Got it. Just me. I'm just confirming. Yeah, that's um, why you see Ryan Harris Shapes on pretty much every every model we have. And then along the way, I kind of, you know, I've done a lot of SUPs. I created another label for the SUP line because of that stigma. And then um, we have a new foil board line. And with those ones, just because there is a stigma usually attached with it, I like to keep rye hair shapes off of it. You know, the average consumer has no idea that fly foil boards are even made by my hands. Gotcha. But they do fall under the Earth Technologies umbrella, which is why you see that little emblem on every single board in here. Um so the Earth Technologies is this boards, EPS and epoxy manufactured boards made in this zero waste factory. Yep. Do you glass boards for other brands? Yes, we do. Okay. And I'm happy to say, you know, I've been doing, okay, so we'll backtrack a little bit. We were the first eco board glassing factory. Um, we opened the first factory that was public, meaning that we would glass for other people. What right? does eco board mean? And... It, so oddly enough, I was doing this before that was even a phrase, before that term was even invented. And in EcoBoard, there's a verification system that Sustainable Surf has that says this is what defines an EcoBoard. But again, back to it can be just a mindset and more than data and facts. Uh, I firmly believe that a board that lasts longer than the buyer is an eco board. Okay. You know, but by it is, not going in the landfill. Maybe it's made with toxic materials, but it's made so well. It's not this overseas pop out like Tyler in El Segundo, for example, legendary longboard shaper. His boards are lifers. Triple gloves. Yeah, they are so well made, they're not disposable boards. Let me um, clarify. Keep them out of the landfill. The phrase eco board is a proprietary phrase from Sustainable Surf. I. No. Is it their own branding? No. Or is it- it's it's a hashtag, right? <laughs> it is a hashtag, but that's the thing. Like it is anybody can anybody okay. can say this is an eco board. It. it is a surfboard that is less environmentally harmful. But they do have a specific criteria yeah. for which they yeah. use that term. Yeah. And they've got. But level- you and I are using it more loosely, right? Okay. And they, you know they've got different levels: level one, and then gold level. Well, you know, with the zero waste factory, I'm on like some platinum level stuff. Yeah. But like they, you know, they've gotten a lot of their criteria for me over the years. Gotcha. But um, yeah, it's 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 more than that. You know, there's plenty of people on their website that are in the system, right? But there's, I'm sure there's lots of shapers, backyard guys that are eco board builders. They just might not even know about sustainable surf, you know, and they're doing whatever they can. A lot of wood board builders, those are eco boards, you know. The original surfboard was an eco board. Right. You know, 
they weren't logging trees. They were using over in Hawaii some falling down trees from storms or whatever, and using you know homemade tools and shaping them, and then using a little linseed oil or something and sealing them, and that's it. Right, eco board. So <laughs> back to um, glassing boards for other brands. Yeah. So you do that. That's part of the Earth Tech. Yeah, business. and um, we're at a point now where we are kind of working with who we want to work with. We're able to say no to people kind of just honestly because our own label and interior brands are taken off. Uh, but I will say, you know, when this whole EcoBoard movement thing started, it was really tough sledding. And as the materials got better, more and more people started to become aware of it. And the bigger labels took notice. And Lost was the first one to really say, hey, we'll give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And again, another shout out to Biolas. Like he full on went in and said, let's do this. Let's do a bunch of boards. And we worked together for about five years. Okay. And other labels started following along and wanted us to do the same. So we, we've honestly worked with just about everybody. Um, is this something that you would be able to have, like if Lost wanted to build their own eco factory and have an earth tech um, portion of their factory, is that something that would you would be able to help facilitate? Yeah, absolutely. I would do it, I again, as a on a consultant basis. That's something I would do. But it would still be branded as E-Tech. I'm, I'm thinking in terms yeah, was, of was, if your business continues to scale, yeah, there franchise. becomes a point where you can't do everything out of right. this one. And especially if those locations are yeah. in a different country, yep. well, it makes it more feasible to do it there than it is to ship right. boards across the ocean. Right. So long-term goals, uh, franchise. You know, uh, doing this in several key markets and the fact that I could just manage this business from my hand. Yeah. And go for openings and, you know, setting up and training people and stuff like that. But, yeah, that's a long-term thing. Um, but right now, we're t- we're still trying to scale and, and dial in other zero-waste products we haven't even figured out how to make yet. But, no, we can't. Right. There seems to be a real disparity between um, how much people like to talk about sustainability mm-hmm. versus how Doing much it. they're willing to support it. No, not only do it from the manufacturer, but the consumer. The consumer's yeah. like, "Hey, we want a, we want a sustainable product," but then they don't buy the product right. well, or they won't pay the premium. That's for it. it. So, what is the difference with, let's say, um, a lost regular constructed board or traditionally constructed board? Versus the Earth Tech, what is the price difference it's, percentage? It's wise? crazy because it's five years ago I would have said, oh yeah, it's more expensive, but it started to level out as more and more companies have utilized the you know the eco board materials. Generally, what you're looking at is what is the price difference between epoxy domestic and poly domestic. We know that stuff made overseas can be a little bit cheaper. So, so what is the price difference? Usually, for the there's a one hundred dollar markup because we're we're priced along the lines with some techy stuff. At the end, of, that's why it's called Earth Technologies. Yeah, it's sustainable tech in boards, and the, we're in an industry that's hungry for tech. And every year, there's like some new things. So we're priced on a par with like a carbon wrap or 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 the newest spine tech. That is what our stuff's priced at. Got it. For our newest newest construction. What, um, how's consumer response been to it? Great. Has it? Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. I, I can tell you how many boards, how many of our boards have broken in 10 years. And it's not a high number. It's not hundreds. It's literally like 30, 25 to 30. How do you track that? Uh, I know. <laughs> People return their boards. Like, don't let that go into the landfill, please. If, okay. if You know. And yeah. um, those have been mainly in pretty adverse conditions or people that didn't take care of their stuff 
Gotcha. So, yeah, um, I don't think a whole lot of labels can say that. Right. Um, what is the strength? Is it a strength issue? What is the strength attributed there? Well, so you have different flex characteristics and the resin, it, it's stronger. That's actually, so when I was exposed to this super sap years, years and years ago, I was a traditional board builder at a poly shop and this guy walks in with this yellow resin, says it's super sap. And I was like, oh, well, it's yellow. Well, your boards are going to be stronger. Okay, I'll try it. And my boards didn't break anymore. I'm big. I'm a big guy. And I used to snap all of my boards. And so I did one thing. I just changed the resin. That's all I changed. And my boards didn't break anymore. That simple. You know, I remember when Firewire came out, Nev, Nev Hyman was jumping off. You know, he, I think he jumped off his bug or something. And he jumping on his board. Bouncing on You wouldn't do that with a regular board. And that's a testament to the materials. And the switch from going from a poly resin to a, a bio epoxy and you know better flex better elongation you know boards they want to bend they want to twist they want to naturally flex from the bottom up and at getting a board that actually can enhance that you're going to get a stronger board and you're going to get better projection in and out of your turns as well so better performance attributes well it's tough for me to accept the word better <laughs> um, well how about this well just because you know not knocking the traditional poly and poly build there's some really well-made boards out there right but we're saying or i'm saying they're just as good as we can make boards that are just as good as what's currently out there so my thoughts are um that's my traditional thoughts and i'm totally open Mm -hmm. to feedback on this is that um strength comes from like lamination Mm -hmm. probably the key factor first of all once you have a quality core, a right. quality foam yep. that doesn't have pockets of density that vary. Right. Like just a That's solid pretty critical. Solid foam, consistent core. A stringer would add a certain rigidity that mm-hmm. would add strength and a flex characteristic that I'm familiar with. Then the lamination is key. Mm-hmm. So you want actually a tight, consistent lamination throughout the board, not too much resin in the lamination, but yep. enough. So it's not brittle. Right. Um and then the quality of the resin, I would say, would yeah. be the next thing that yeah. I would think about. What you're saying to me is the quality of the resin alone, made aside huge, from the made lamination, a made a huge massive difference. difference. Okay. Massive difference. Okay. Um, but all of those things are key, which leads me into the craftsman building said board. That's critical. You don't want to hack in your shop. That is, you know, this, you know, I'm going to kind of contradict it. Oh, yeah, we make really strong boards. Yeah, we do, but if made with really small laps, sanded through on the laps, you know, not enough resin here, discrepancies of resin here, maybe using a second blank that has way too many voids and things of that nature, um, stringless constructed boards, not all of them, but not enough glass. If you go stringless, you have to, you know, do some sort of parabolic something. You you usually are going to see carbon on the board to reinforce it. There's ways to make very weak boards, and that's the thing you just don't do. But down to the materials, we use expensive materials. We use better stuff. Yeah. So at that time, you are already doing the work yourself, so Mm -hmm. you're already accustomed Mm -hmm. to a certain level of craftsmanship. So the resin made a huge difference, the resin alone. Um, So the other detail, though, again, using the the problem with the word better for me Mm -hmm. is strength 
isn't always better. I'm learning like from my own surfing. Yeah. I'm just familiar with a certain type of flex right. pattern that feels right to me. So you can give me a board that's indestructible. And it might be just way too stiff. Too stiff. Yeah. 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 So, so it's, how do you factor a, honestly, that Honestly, there's a really fine line between too light and weak, right? Too strong, too stiff. So somewhere in the middle. And then the other thing I like to say is no matter how busy we get, every board's custom. I don't care if it's stock boards going overseas or, 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 or to an account. Every board is custom. Based on what that volume is and what the said consumer on the end goal or that's going to you know, get it, what their weight might be, I'm going to build it completely different. A guy that's 140 pounds is not going to need the same glassing schedule as someone in my range is 200 and 205 you know, right. plus plus pounds. And so that consumer's also not like what I built for myself, that glass job won't work for him. It's going to be too stiff. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of variables, but it's a fine science. I know all this stuff going into everything and dictate how everything's made. Yeah. Which it's limits the scalability important. of the business a right. little bit. Well, and, you know, it's not, I think about restaurants, you know, cause I, I did have a, you know, service industry background and bartending and all that. Uh, it, they're recipes and recipes can be replicated Yeah, and you don't deviate from said recipe if you want it to be perfect. Right. Because I could see somebody um, being really interested in everything that you're talking about, but they're familiar with riding traditional constructed mm -hmm. boards. So they come in here and they order one and they pay the extra $100 premium or whatever it is and then get it in the water and it just feels different. Yep. And it might not. So for them, there's that learning curve. Yep. And in that learning curve, they're considering, well, it's more expensive. I'm not convinced that it is, quote, better. Right. You know? Um, just because the flex is different. Yeah, well, and that's the thing. When you compare traditional poly to epoxy, they're different. They ride different. One's way more buoyant than the other. You have to adjust everything. And so I basically, when, you know, it's someone I don't know that comes in blind, they get the detailed board questionnaire, surfer questionnaire. Where do you surf? How much do you weigh? How long have you been surfing? What's your go-to volume on your traditional board? What are you looking for? in this board uh, we take all that information and they get a let's say they order their favorite board the 6-2 poly short board they don't get the same thing they get maybe a 6-1 6-0 but that's designed yep. to meet their expectation exactly. but then advance it exactly so that's i mean honestly over the seven years of doing the podcast it all comes down to working with your shaper mm -hmm. And being able to communicate effectively for the shaper to be able to then yeah. meet your needs. Yep. Yeah. And for scale, down. you know, the disclaimer is, look, these are not poly boards. Adjust. You have to make some adjustments for it to be ideal for you. And the, the thing I look at is we utilize the materials as an advancement. So for me, I've been writing shorter boards ever since I switched to eco boards. Ever since I started doing epoxy and EPS, I don't really ride poly anymore. Um, it's not that I don't like it. It's that I can go shorter. I have more float out of an EPS board. And by going shorter, i.e. Slater rules, you can fit the board better in the pocket by riding a shorter board. So my go-to board, I used to ride 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, I'm 6'2". And all my boards are under 6 foot. Usually 5'9 five, five, to 5'11". Gotcha wide you know <laughs> um, there's my pack volume in there but yeah that's that's generally if you look at the average pros quiver um 
Most of them are on PU, but they're you know their 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 proxy board is like their small wave board, but it's always smaller uh, than their their traditional equipment. And you look at the guys like Slater that are on all obviously epoxy boards, and they're way smaller than his 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 um, CI days. Right. Um, taking a break from board construction, yeah. let's get back into your origin story. A okay. Bit. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Portland, Oregon. I am originally from Oregon, and I'm a adult learner. Are you? <laughs> I did not. I did not what grow pro- up. What? I did not grow up surfing. But um, I'm very. If you live in Oregon, you're outdoorsy. I mean, that's it. And, but um, my folks were teachers, uh, and my mom is from Central Oregon, which is like super Bend. I'm sure you know a lot of people out there have heard of Bend, Oregon. Jerry she's Lopez. from Bend. No, she's from a town near Bend. Gotcha. But, why Central has Ben Oregon. become so popular? It doesn't rain that much. That's why. It's literally sunny or snowing. Right? And so you get the it's the high desert and it's got it's just beautiful. There's the mountains, there's the Deschutes River, there's breweries everywhere. Yeah. Um I honestly never heard of Bend, Oregon until Jerry Lopez moved there. Yeah. And, and in the last decade, I hear it twice a week. Yeah, and it's, I guess it's one of the fastest growing cities on the West Coast. They reached out to me for, like, visitbend.com, reached mm. out to advertise on the podcast. <laughs> I awesome. was like, that's so weird. But yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, back to, you know, where I'm from and how I grew up. Uh, my dad's an avid fisherman. Early on, I was in the rivers and in the ocean fishing with him, and he put me on water skis when I was like three. So I was already doing sports at a really young age. He's also, uh, he was the first African-American coach in the state of Oregon. So I grew up as a coach's son. Um, what was he coaching? Basketball. Okay. Uh, ask me if I'm a good basketball player. The answer is no. <laughs> coaching at what level? Uh, high school. Okay. And... Um, I honestly was terrible at basketball. It was really little. I was like a runt. I was very small for my age. But I think that's why I gravitated towards non-traditional, well, non-traditional black sports, one. But like downhill skis, you know, on the slopes, skiing, water skiing, little skateboarding here and there, uh, and then pole vaulting. I was a big track guy in in high school. Uh, Just all sorts of random stuff. But... um, uh, in college, I my roommate at the time was a surfer. And so that's how I literally found out about surfing. I wasn't into it at all. There was no surf culture in Oregon growing up. There's no internet. I'm 41, and there was no internet when I was in high school. And so I kind of started to change in college. But um, eventually, I fell in love with it. Uh, going to the Oregon coast and surfing was kind of a rite of passage. And we would do these campouts, and I'd get in the water. And you literally had like... Eyeballs of skin, you know, that's it. Everything's covered. Six mil, booties hood, and it was usually stormy, but we'd get these amazing sessions where you hike through an old growth forest and you come out in this beautiful horse, horseshoe shaped cove, and there's a little rip that takes you out, and there's a perfect left and a perfect right, and those were my first surfing experiences. Um, I think I was about 18, 19. What about it turned you on? Honestly, I was a complete kook until I moved down here and caught my first good wave. But it, it something I, turned you on up there enough to even make uh, you pursue it? Or was it just you one know, of the other honestly, recreations? You I know? wasn't hooked in okay. Oregon. Gotcha. It was still not a thing after I tried it. It was the, I'm bailing, I'm moving, to, or I'm moving out of Oregon to LA. I'm going to give acting a shot. I'm going to do whatever. I just need to get out of this, this grayness. What did, it was uh, depressing. 
do you remember what you were riding up in Oregon or what? Oh, bikes? like long boards or fun fun boards, big boards. But you don't know shape or no, anything. No, I okay. I couldn't tell you because gotcha. again I wasn't into it. The gotcha. passion hadn't hit. So when I moved down here and my roommate, my college roommate, I moved down here with. Um, we got a place in L.A. Park La Brea. Um, he moved down here with his quiver and he had all short boards and we went to Porto and that is where I got El Porto. Yep. That's where I got my ass handed to me, honestly, on a bunch of closeouts. I had no business being out there. And then buddy, a buddy gave me a fun board and I went from short board to fun board. I went up, I kept going up and within a year I was going back down again. I went from short board six, eight to seven, four mid range to, I bought a, the first board I bought was an 8.4 Stavros, who's a San Pedro guy, and it was awesome. And within that first year of being here and buying that first board, I was so hooked, uh, I actually started shaping that first year. Um, first, I started doing repairs, and then a buddy was like, dude, you should go buy a blank. I was like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you can. I'm sure you can shape. You're an artist. And it did. I just, I never look back. And what what did you study in college? Uh, without just saying our product, product design. So mm-hmm. I got a, I got a, I got a degree. Um, I was a Nike guy and a lot of people don't know that cause I don't talk about it cause I don't do it anymore. But, um, I was obsessed with drawing my own shoes and designing my own shoes since okay. I was like 10, draw my own Jordans. That's why I was going to ask. He said, yeah. he said, uh, you're an artist. You could do that. Why did he say you? So were an I, artist? that was my background. I actually got a, got a bachelor's degree in product design. Interesting. Um, I literally tried everything in college to figure out what I wanted. I was, a I was into ceramic sculpture, photography. Uh, another thing, people, if, if, if I see you, I can draw you. Like I, I just, I was born this way. I'm an artist. That's, that is the short of it. I can, I can copy what I see. Interesting. I can draw something. It takes a while, but I could, yeah. I could sketch you out. I could do a painting, whatever. Um, and ultimately, you know, shaping is sculpting. So I found my calling and it was a hobby at first, but I, I got obsessed with shaping because it was learning something new and I had the ability to make something and then use it and yeah. write it. And I could feel the difference. Right. 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 And um, I wasn't doing enough boards early on, you know, to make any sort of impact. They were honestly terrible. I was just backyarder. Well, let me get into that a little bit. Um, your friend says you should go buy a blank. Where do you go buy a blank? And did you have <laughs> any access to mentorship? Was there anybody you could rely on to kind of learn the ropes? So... First 20 or so boards, no mentorship. I went to Foam Easy, bought my first blank, and there was a glass shop next door that glassed my first few boards. I didn't glass my own boards. Aloha? Uh, yes. No, it was before. They're not, um, gosh, I'm drawing a blank, but um, the owner had a heart attack. Oh, yeah, surfboard. Uh, uh, yeah, factory. they were right next door before they m- moved. Yeah, Steve. What, yes, Steve. his name was Steve. Yeah. And I couldn't tell that you the name. That place epic. Yeah, they were awesome. It was literally right next door. Uh, they, you know, I don't know how long ago they moved. <laughs> yeah. But Aloha's right next door. Right. But um, no, so my next 25 or so boards, uh, Aquatech. So, okay, so you go in there. And that's where the mentorship role started. Okay. So what you go in there, Foamy Z will sell you a blank. They'll sell you materials Yep, and all tools, the tools. Yep. And you come home. 
and just start hacking away? Were you watching that dude, John Carper? I didn't even have the money at the time to buy the tools from Foam Easy. I went to freaking Home Depot. Gotcha. And got a crappy planer and got a shear form and a bunch of random tools. And then I got some more. But I was I was doing this on a bartender's budget, just part-time, just kind of doing whatever, just screwing around. And I had a little repair business. I had a lot of expertise doing repairs. And within the first two years, people that were getting repairs started to try my shapes. Gotcha. And I don't want to say the first two or three years were wasted, but I didn't have any sort of... I didn't have a clue. I got videos. I watched... There's a airbrushing 101 video. Yeah. I, watched, I got that. Glassing 101. I got that. Shaping 101. I got that. And I'm, I mean, those videos were so, pivotal for so many mm-hmm. people. It was pre-internet. Yep. And those were like the only yep. videos. So self-taught. And then I got into a couple glass shops. So Aquatech, I would... You know, sweep the floors a little bit, a couple times for Scott Anderson. I and mean, I just picked some stuff up along the way. But they didn't tell me how bad my shapes were. Right. And about the time Clark Foam went belly up, um, slash closed their doors. 2005. Uh-huh. I had extra Clark Foam blanks, and I put them on eBay. And a guy from uh, San Pedro and his glass shop was in Wilmington, reached out, and that was DJ Dryling. And again, low-key, small shop, but that is where I came in. And so sold him a couple blanks. He recognized my talent as an airbrusher. I became the production airbrusher and pinliner at a traditional polyglass shop. Wow. And that is, that's where, honestly, that's where I learned the most early on. And then fast forward to once we opened the factory, working with the big labels. And that is repetition, 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 big batches of boards, getting a call from Biolis at six in the morning. Dude, what the hell? Were you on when you sanded this board? Your rails are off. I don't want my speed edges like this. Just people drilling it into your head. This is their system. This is how it has to be. And that I call, I call that board building school. When you have that amount of pressure on you working with other private label brands and it's got to be perfect. And that in turn, seeing all those perfect dialed in shapes dramatically improved my shaping. And it, it just became a numbers game. First 500 boards or so, I couldn't do everything I wanted. I didn't have the skill set. Then after that, you know, the planer as my tool. I could legitimately shape anything with my own two set of hands. And those first 500, though, were um, you're really making money doing the sanding and the airbrushing. Mm-hmm. Everything. Doing production one, for I everybody see one, else. one set of hands. And there's plenty of craftsmen out there that are featured on board porn that don't have their own shop. It is just one set of hands. They do everything from shape, glass, sand, all of it, polish, right. which is a very, 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 you know, it's it's awesome. It's a sacred craft to be able to do all that. But as you open a business, you know, it's good to have those skill sets, but ultimately you don't have time to touch every single board. Yeah. You know? Um, I'm also curious about being an adult learner and <laughs> kind of learning how to shape simultaneously. Yes. That's kind of an interesting dynamic. It is. It is. But, you know. Do you think it helped or hindered your surfing? I, I think it helped quite a bit. And I, I legit tried it. All kinds of equipment while I was learning how to shape. Oh, dude, this is a magic board. You should try it. And so I could, I was learning on the fly, but I could tell, you know, feeling it. And then once I was good enough in my own surfing skills, I could feel the difference. I could feel the difference in subtle concave differences, rocker, volume placed here, um, how that felt on the wave and under your feet. Yeah. And honestly, now I'm an expert at it. And it's it's volume. It's numbers. Uh, somebody the other day asked me how many boards I've done. I was like, well, my hands have touched, shaped over 9,000 boards. Oh, really? Yeah. And that's, you know, a lot of that's private label. But my, my own 
boards and, and that. It's combined over 9,000 boards. And I think there's a number you have to get to uh, where you become an expert in your craft. And it's a lot. <laughs> What's the number? I think probably 5,000. At least 1,000. I mean, I still didn't know exactly what I was doing. And again, back to doing everything. Because there's still plenty of shapers out there that are mainstream, I would say. I won't name any names, but they don't maybe know how to glass, right? They have a vision and they're experts at shaping and maybe airbrushing or something. But they they never had to. Right. Right? Because right. that system is shaper, glassing. Shaper, right. glassing. Right. Right? Um, when did you transition from what you were just talking about into earth technologies in your own business? Um. So I had a previous partner and we launched eTech, which was always short for Earth Technologies, eTech Glassing in, man, 2011 was when we got the space. Um, and that was, we had, we did that together for about six years. He got forced out, had a new partner and eventually we had to move. But when we had to move, it was all me. And it was one of the best things that could have happened because I got to reinvent um, my label. E-Tech was also eco-focused? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So it was e- what- so E-Tech in Hawthorne, for some reason, when people Google it, they can still find the old address. That was the original EcoBoard factory, the got first it. of its kind. Got it. um, and we've been here in Torrance for three years, and it's the second iteration of it, but the first zero waste. Right. Factory. So that's the difference. Gotcha. And I'm the captain of the ship. I wasn't the captain of the ship before. It was 50-50 with my, me and my founding partner. We talked a lot about board construction, but not about design necessarily. Mm-hmm. What kind of boards are you building? Honestly, everything. Yeah, I, If it goes in the water, I'm building it. Uh, from hand planes to traditional short boards, gobblers, mini Simmons, retro, long boards, paddle boards, foil boards. We're doing a lot of foil boards. Can you do everything well? Yeah, honestly. And that's a testament to my choices when I go and surf. I don't just shortboard. I do everything because my belief is if I'm not decent at all of it, how am I going to know how it performs in the water? It's fake if I don't have the skill set to do all of it, which is why I try and equally do everything. You know, when it's tiny, I'm not going to be out there on my shortboard. I'll be on my sup or a longboard or maybe even foiling. And as the waves get better, I'll eventually, who doesn't like the shortboard? <laughs> I love the shortboard. And that's, you know, ultimately in my industry, that's what most people are, are buying is, is surfboards, or yeah. shortboards. But it's also, I think, kind of, so I do make a business decision, business decision on what I'm surfing. Um, if it's trending, I might be on that, right? What's Grobblers. Trend, what's trending we're, right now? we're in small wave gear, small wave season right now. We're out of winter. It kind of fizzled out in January, end of January, and we've had small waves since February started. So small wave gear, grovelers, um, and foil boards. That's what we're pushing. That's what we're selling the most of. That's what I'm on. Yep. Where geographically is your clientele? Is it mainly local? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. That's changing, though. As um, we've become more than a household name, as the business has become bigger, we're starting to get more international accounts, bi-coastal. Um, the wife is from Virginia Beach, so uh, naturally we don't have a very big presence there, but we're going to be spending more time there, and we are getting more accounts over on the East Coast as well. Um, 
accounts meaning retail. You sell mm-hmm. through retail. Uh, well, it's funny because we're you know obviously yeah we're brick and mortar, but the way the whole consignment model has gone, it's been really tough to be in shops. But we're in the shops that want us to be there, and I want to be in that actually care about sustainability. Uh, you. So I've actually let's ex- said let's said ex- no to retail. Okay. A lot. So I that, mean, a few key shops, and they're the ones I want to be in that aren't consignment. <laughs> so just to uh, explain, edified listener, mm-hmm. um, traditionally surfboards through retail, the way that that would work is a builder would come in and present the boards to the retailer with an invoice and say, this is due in 30 days, whether the boards sell right. or not. Right. And now kind of a modern way of doing it is larger labels will come and drop off a number uh, of boards. 50 to 100 boards at your biggest shops. Without an invoice look. and just say, look, if it sells, yep. then it the invoice will be due 30 or 60 or 90 days mm-hmm. after the board sells. Yep. If the board doesn't sell, we'll just come and pick it back up. And swap. So for the retailer, mm-hmm. there's no capital outlay for yeah, that. It's great and for the so retailer. If they only have 100 <laughs> uh, spaces on the floor. Right. It's logical that they would give a lot of that space to the boards that they don't have to mm-hmm. pay for. And ultimately... The only labels that can afford to do that are like your top 10, 10 labels. Where do the boards uh, that aren't sold on consignment, when the re- when the uh, manufacturer picks them back up, where do they go? That is a great question. I would say they probably get discounted. Okay. And um, I, 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 they don't go on Craigslist, you know, on the devalue said brand. Yeah. That's the worst thing that can happen. But yeah, the consignment model is one of the worst things that happened in the surfboard industry. So what is how does that affect your business and it well it affects my business in that factory direct people want that custom experience and they come straight to the factory whether it's physically or online or social media so, or they start requesting that said shop oh hey you should carry you should carry these you should right. do you have this shape oh well you should carry it yeah <laughs> do has it um have your numbers dropped because of that, do you think? They've no. gone up. Your numbers have gone up. Because mm-hmm. people still want your product. Yep. And so they just come to Well, and they're not gonna get they're not gonna get it in the local so here's what's crazy. We are not in hardly any local shops. I was in a lot more and I pulled out because of this. I just can't afford to float boards right. around. And dude, think about this this short board market completely saturated. It doesn't make sense. For me to have my little shortboard models in a shop where the latest and greatest Slater Designs or name top five brand, they're going to have 25 of each model in there. They won't even see my two to three boards. Right. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, we are, the shops we are in are eco-friendly shops. They're sustainable shops and they reach out. I don't even, I don't even have to say anything. Right. Because we're in the, you know, green circle and sustainable you know, the other, circles. I mean, and that's specific to shortboards, but I mean, your SUP and foil business, I think, makes you unique as well, mm-hmm. right? Especially well, I, foil. Yeah, like, there's well, there's of- there's just not, and that's why we're so, it's trending, obviously, and it's, there's just not that many labels that do it, yeah. let alone glass shops. And so I've been building foil boards private label for about two years since the trend started because we have to kind of change with, with the, the trending stuff. And um, this past fall, I was like, you know what? I why would I not launch my own foil board line? I can make these boards better and stay up with the current trends and make them better and stronger and last longer with cooler designs and their eco. And so our own foil board line has really taken off. 
And then it's like it, it helps sustain the private label. And it's going to get to a point where, well, the goal is our own label just way outweighs the other one. And we just can't keep up with demand. And so we have to focus on that, on our own stuff. What's the FOIL brand label? FLY. It's an acronym. Gotcha. F-L-I-E. Which What's stands for, for Fluid Lightweight Innovative Eco-Conscious. Got it. Got it. Yeah, and it, yes, I've got I've got acronyms for everything. Right. But yeah, people are digging it, and then uh, the models are like birds of prey, local to the the West Coast. Okay. Um, what do you think will need to happen for pros to be embracing this technology? I would like to think, like you talked about, there's no hindrance in performance. Right. Um, we know pros will actually go out of their way for any minute. Mm-hmm advantage uh performance advantage so it would stand a reason that they would be open to something like this what do you think will need to happen for them to embrace it exposure and exposure knowledge to it. yeah exposure to it and knowledge because you know for a long time eco boards were not good there was a negative connotation they were yellow they were heavy um and that kind of ruined it made it very hard early on but there are people that get it and understand it a lot of Pro surfers, just they don't understand the mechanics of board A versus board B. They don't understand the difference in materials. And so it's, it's again, back to my role as an educator. I have to explain and fully wake people up as to under, at least give them the knowledge to understand, look, this is how this is going to perform differently than this, and this is why. Yeah. And so that's pretty important. Down to the, the newest contest you're watching, right? The announcers, uh, it man, it drives me crazy. Me too. Because a lot of them, there's a few that are very knowledgeable because they ride, you know, different things. But there's a lot that just they don't get it, they don't understand, and they do not know what they're talking about. Even some of the ones who are knowledgeable mm-hmm. that they'll like constantly pitch to, hey, you're down on the beach with the boards, tell us about the quiver, you know, and mm-hmm. they put the guy on the beach because he knows more than the other guys. Right. He still misspeaks. Yeah. All the time. Yeah. Basic stuff. Using, I mean, using the term epoxy <laughs> yeah. to refer to the foam itself. Yeah. He's writing an epoxy core board. You know, yeah. it's like, no, no, yeah. no. The epoxy is the resin, yeah. not the core. Yeah. You know, basic like they, they need a script, basically. It's crazy. Yeah, it, it sucks. Yeah. Um, but we're doing, you know, we're doing our part. We're doing whatever we can. And that's why I do a lot of these. It's a platform. I have a platform. I utilize social media to educate people. And to put things out there and to challenge the industry. Yeah. You know? Um, how often do you ride other shaper surfboards at this point? I don't really anymore. I used to a lot. Um, when we were at that point where we were working with everybody, you know, and needed to for the validation, my quiver was insane. I had, you know, Morris Cole, another mentor, a Firewire, Pizel, Biolas, Roberts. And my stuff. And a Timmy Patterson, throw that one in there too. All those in my quiver. And the focus has got to be on my own label, man. It's got to be on my own shapes. I might treat myself to a custom from another shaper that I just want for myself. You know, every As a fanboy. Yeah, exactly. Like, honestly, the other day I ran into uh, stamps at Foam Easy because I still like to show them some love and, you know, support. They've been doing it for a really long time. And I ran into him, and the first thing I said was, look, never met you. 
big fan. He knew who I was. I'd love to order a board from you. Maybe we can work together in some capacity, but I would love to order a board from you. And I think that is one of the best things. I don't want to say competing labels, but followers and fans of other board board followers and shapers can do is support each other. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't give me a discount. I just want to order one, and you know, obviously I'll glass it, but do everything and. Did you order one, or what would you order from him? Shortboard. High performance. Shortboard. Yeah, high performance shortboard. Yeah. I, I honestly, dude, when we first got the Lost account, it was like a kid in a candy store. I, I must have had four custom shapes within the first four months. Yeah. It was ridiculous. It's hard I mean, not to. Well, and it got to a point where I wasn't writing my own stuff. So if if I'm in the water, and that's one of my best sales tools, I'm not doing my label any freaking favors by writing everybody else's stuff. I know. I see both <laughs> sides of that equation, though. Yeah. Like, you want to obviously be um, doing your own R&D, mm-hmm. but... If you get too under the microscope with your own stuff, you become oblivious to other important mm-hmm. inputs. Yeah. So sometimes just snapping out of that and writing something radically different can open your mind to yep. new progress for your own shapes. Or absolutely, but one of the things I'll do is like you know whatever the most popular board or style of board genre whatever is, I'll order one and see what the fuss is all about. Like I got a sci-fi. Yeah. A few years ago, yeah. and you know glassed it and whatever, but. Wanted to see what the fuss was all about. Did it change your life? No. <laughs> I, I do think Tomo's brilliant. He's phenomenal. But, um, yeah, I you know, um, it's like every year there's something. Well, that was actually a perfect segue for my next question, which is what shapers are you excited about? Who do you see that you're interested in right now? I always like to see what Biolis has got up his sleeve. Um, but more, you know, local guys. My local, I know all the local shapers, and I always like to see what the young and up and coming guys are. But really, um, there's like this whole digital thing, right? With with the with the CNC and shaping by computer. And yes, we have a CNC machine now, but years of mastering the planer. So shout out to all the local guys in the South Bay that are still hand shaping. Um, I'm a big fan of Ryan Levis's, and we've worked together in a small capacity, but, I, you know, I love to see his shapes and what he's got coming up. Um, I'm a huge fan of asymmetric shapes. I do, you know, those are obviously extremely custom, <laughs> yeah. but I like to see that. I like to see um, Album is a, a big fan of his. I like to see what they have coming out, but like to see more kind of production asymms that are just bonkers, just off the wall. But because they're, they're very, I think they're pretty important. Yeah. It's, it's a very custom board unique yeah. to that surfer yeah but yeah my local guys um andy prunauer proper boards we work together ian uh blackmore ib shapes uh local dude um, a lot of these are you know the the thing i like to see every year is the, the shaping family tree right and i think i'm on there somewhere but these guys i don't really want to say that i've mentored but i've worked with in some capacity or they've come through my old shop and now they're on their own uh, shred the narboards. He's actually here right now. He's phenomenal. But yeah, I, explain what the shapers family tree is. Uh, gosh, I think Surfer Mag put it out years ago. Now it's part of the boardroom show, uh, and they have a poster every year. Um, and it started. I couldn't even tell you who it started with, but a long time ago. Um, Duke's in there somewhere because people would make boards for him, and then all the other people along the way. And then you get into like the big, kind of the longboard movement, foam and fiberglass longboard movement of 
50s, 60s, Noel, Velsey, Jacobs, and then it's who they, you know, mentored. mentored. Yeah. And then you get into, um, I was, when I was over at US Blanks yesterday, I was talking to Jeff and he's like, you know, we got to have a, a Glasser's family tree. Because that's, that's the craft right there. Yeah. It's Glasser's Shapers. It It's such a cool thing, the concept of the tree, just to pay homage mm-hmm. to... Yeah, who people learned from, but it's also really helpful just to understand the way that board designs develop. Yeah, you can track a pretty linear line yep. from yep the designs evolutions throughout the decades. Well, and then regions. Yeah, right. Probably. Obviously, you've got in the U.S. You've got East Coast, West Coast, Hawaii, and then uh, Australia, Europe. Oh, there's all these you know almost like cross pollinations. Yeah, right. It's like when when well it originated in Hawaii. And when uh, Noel moved over there, right, then that's, that completely changed how people were shaping over there based on what he was doing over there. And then, you know, when did so-and-so go to Australia? It's just crazy. Yeah. Or looking at, like, just key. Cross-pollination. Yeah, Simon Anderson, when he invented the thruster. Things like, it's just, it's nuts. There's a lot. Yeah. I'm glad that somebody took the time to go through all that effort. Mm-hmm. Um, at well, a there's point, tons of people that have been missed, obviously. For sure. But at, so many but it's still, guys. it was at a point where you could track it. Because mm-hmm. it's going to be at a point probably now where it'd be untrackable. Yeah. You know? Thousands upon thousands of shapers. And when I saw the first poster, I was butthurt because I wasn't on it. Yeah. But like the glass shop I worked at, nobody in there was even on it. Right. Yeah. Like it's, it's well, crazy. That, so that one detail, um, I do want to drive home for listeners is your start of sanding boards, airbrushing boards Mm -hmm. for anybody listening who cares and wants to get into board building. You can go currently work for some of the most important builders. If you're willing to do those things, I think so many people view Instagram and they would just want to be a surfboard (laughs) shaper. Yeah. You know, but there's, and shapers are important as well. Yeah. But they're only equally as important as the laminators and yep. the sanders yep. and the fin setters. And there's not enough um, talent coming up mm-hmm. in those parts of the industry. Well, people want to like skip the hard work and go straight to the, the glamour. Yeah, really, which is the shaper and maybe the laminator. Um, what, which is what, one of the reasons I do a lot of the posts we do with the time lapse. I'm just sharing it so people can see it. I've even been doing sanding time lapse. It's grunt gnarly work but it's a it's it's a sacred craft in and of itself but there's no reason that the shaper should be the celebrity anyways like the it's great that jeff even said we should have a tree for the laminators Mm -hmm. because there should be celebrity you know like uh super wolf you know celebrity laminator yep there should be a celebrity sander yep you know where you want your boards to be sanded by that guy because it turns out the performance is hugely Mm -hmm. dictated by the sand well and it's it's funny uh before when it was sacred crafts and that was a boardroom we started with foam easy the very first glassing demonstration oh and i've done damn near every single one since i've been part of that every time and that's you know no mask right Right? it was also kind of the the eco board catalyst was the invention of the resin and um people hadn't seen that before right they'd only ever seen the shaper with his mask, with a clear plaque, you know, plexiglass room. Yeah. And so for them to be able to see that, that's why I look forward to that show every single year is I always have a role in it. And yeah. I'm usually, you know, chomping at the bit, firing all cylinders, talking about what current project we're working on or whatever my, 
eco agendas at the time, but at the end of the day, I just want to, I'm trying to educate and show people this is fun. Yes. I get to make functional art. Well, that's a good um, advertisement, by the way, for anybody listening who wants to go to that. It's May 2nd and 3rd this year. Yeah. It's a little earlier. Yeah. Um, So you'll be there. I'll be there. And people can have access to you. It's an exhausting weekend, man. All that talking that you're talking about right now, it, it is fun and Mm -hmm. I love doing it too. But by the end of the weekend, it is wrecked. Yeah. Wrecked. Yeah. And last year, last year was mellow, but the, oh my God. Was it? For me, but I didn't, I didn't, I always like take on too much. Yeah. I'm always doing best in show. I'm laminating and doing something in my booth. And last year it was, dude, you guys have the worms. Last year it was the worms, the worms, the worms. And then we were pushing the coasters and I'm watching this reflex and I'm glassing one that's a Pizel reflex. I'm talking about that. So I'm always doing a lot, but. Yeah. There's been years that I've just been just way over there. I'm doing simple. Less is more this year. My my trick there <laughs> is to um, grab a sandwich from Gelson's in the morning yeah. and bring it with me and then hide out behind the booth, <laughs> pull the curtain and hide out and eat my sandwich for lunch. Because if you go outside to eat uh-uh. your sandwich, people you see people out there. Yeah. If you go to the food court, you see people there. Yeah. The privacy behind the booth, pulling mm-hmm. the curtain, I get 30 minutes, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. Of silence, and that's gold. Recharge for the rest of the day. Yep. You know. Um, final question for everybody is, what was the last surfboard that you rode? Which would have been this morning, I suppose. Oh, man. So this morning, uh, the Santa Anas were in, well, they're still going crazy, but it, it was smaller today. I actually almost went to Huntington, and I'm like, you know what? Don't kill the whole morning. You got a lot to do. Uh, you need to have everything prepped before the guys come in here, so it can be nice and quiet when we're doing this. Um, I took my H2 SUP out. H2 SUP. That's my SUP label. Okay. And it's a, we have an Edge series. So that's the Greeno Edge. Um, that's another kind of trending shape. We've done a lot of conversations about the Edge on the podcast. I literally have done it in everything I can think of. I went from kind of traditional mid-range original Greeno, right? Uh, scaled it down to a, a, a tiny little fish, scaled it up into a SUP. And now I've got this crazy Edge SUP design. It's a little different, but... Um, the day before I was on my go-to groveler, I wanted to take it out today, but it was just cutless. Tell me, um, what are your thoughts on the edge design? I love it, do you? but mine's completely different. How so? I don't do it. I, I fall. It's tapered to the shape. So if you look at the original, original edge, it kind of, it, it doesn't start right up, right at the nose. It kind of starts about a third down and it's fat. It starts, it's almost two to three inches wide, like a really wide cut lap, Right. And then it kind of goes into a straight, okay? So ours, it's tapered to the shape. So it's deepest and widest midway, right? At your widest point of the board. And it tapers into nothing down in where your speed edge would normally be through the fins. And then it does the same thing going towards the nose. But the point is, it starts right at zero. It starts right at the nose. Okay. So, and it's it's basically a quarter circle. It's totally round. Um, about a half inch deep, and then it's mirrored on the deck with a step rail. Oh, interesting. So the idea is that you have a knifey performance low-volume shortboard rail in the water on any shape. On a sup that's four and a half inches thick, you have this, you know, one and a half inch radius in the water instead of this bulbous, bulky thing. And um, they really work. And you're getting, essentially the board's turbocharged. You're getting drive from the deck concave on the rail and then the bottom edge which is a channel on the rail as well 
So you're getting more speed because mm-hmm. of the planing surface, yep. but then also more maneuverability because once you turn on the rail, exactly. there's less rail in the water. Yep. And, and, I sharp, think, and a sharp edge. Right. They're ideal for any wider boards because um, it narrows the planing surface. Um, and I, I, we actually just did one for Sal, his, his step up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we were saying before board. the mic went on that yeah. you, um, the first episode of my podcast that you listened to was with Sal Massacola, yeah. who when I asked him that exact question of what was the last board he rode, he was yep. raving about your boards. Yep. That he's been the, the Gravelet, the Electrical Ninja. Yeah, that's right. Which I'm not going to do that one in an edge. Okay. <laughs> it's already got so much going on. You've got a lot going on. Yes, I do. But I I love it that way. Well, thank you for taking the time. Yeah. Nice job. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Down to zero if they were leaving For another one Now you walk with your feet back on the ground Down to the ground, down to the ground Right. Ryan is a super busy dude. So uh, after we were done recording this, we chatted about our schedules and I lamented um, running out of time and not being able to manage my own and was asking him for advice on how he manages his. And he revealed to me that he spends weekends, early hours and late into the evening at that factory. So it's a huge deal for him to spend an hour with me. But uh, it's an important conversation. So thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate you taking the time. If you would like to follow Ryan, you can find him on social media by following Earth Technologies or Rye Harris Shapes on Instagram. Earth Tech Surf is their website. I've linked to all of it on surfsplendorpodcast.com, along with images of the things that we discussed, all of the uh, shred that the factory produces. So check that out. And you can also leave a comment in the comment section for Ryan. And then I'll also ask you, if you don't mind, to rate and review this podcast in whatever app you listen in. That helps for other people to find it. So thanks for that. That is a great way to support this show. And also thanks to those of you who keep this podcast alive through donations. We have a donation platform set up on surfsplendorpodcast.com. And um, that really goes a long way to making this happen. I am actually sitting in Kauai right now uh, recording this outro and intro. A listener and former guest provided me with a place to stay. So your donations went towards airfare in getting me here. And now I am recording two podcasts a day for the duration of the trip. I haven't even surfed once. So the generosity of yourself and others really does go a long way towards making this happen. So I appreciate that. And I've been at it since early this morning. So I am going to sign off, go to dinner, try to relax, watch some Netflix and get right back at it tomorrow morning. So I would like to say that I'll be back for a remote episode with Chaz on Friday, but he is in France right now, and I have no idea if Chaz is going to make it home from Europe or not. But either way, I will get to the bottom of that, and we will reconnect next week, whether it is face-to-face or remotely. And uh, then I'll be back here next week on Surf Splendor on Wednesday with a brand new episode. So you can look forward to that. But until then, this is, of course, David Scales reminding you to get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred on.